Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod, where two lardy fellows in the UK jump back and forth with a time-travelling alien in a little blue box. I am one of said lardy pair, and joining me as always is the always brilliant Mr. Dan Griffin. How are we doing this week, my friend? I'm not hungover. Oh my god. The streak is broken. Um, uh, No, I I think I've forgotten how to podcast. Uh, without being hungover or, uh, or on my way to getting drunk, it's it's very weird. But uh, you say about being, uh, you say about the lardy part. I embarrassed myself completely the other day. Had to do my very fastest waddle to get the bus. I'm not going to insult people's intelligence say that, and say that I ran for it. Uh, the bus was full <laughs> of school kids. They were all looking out the window, laughing at me, until I got up to the top deck and they realised that my head touched the top of the bus and I filled the aisle. And then the, then they shut up just because yeah. I had the uh, I had the resting bitch face on. Oh mate. <laughs> School kids, right? don't get me wrong, I've got, I, I, as I've said numerous times, I've got school kids who live in my house. My children are at school. They are of that certain age. Thank you, you specified the yours. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I've not just got random school kids, like, you know, tied up somewhere. <laughs> That's a whole different podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> but school kids on the bus, they're a pain in the ass, aren't they? I hate it. Yeah, but at least I only have to deal with them for, for half the journey. Yeah, when I started work at this new job, it was great because it was during the summer holidays, during the school holidays, sorry. So I thought, this bus ride is lovely. It's an empty bus. I can listen to my podcast to and from work. Oh, it's, it's awesome. The first Monday came around afterwards, and it was just full of horrible, screaming teenage pricks, and it just ruins everything, mate. Yeah, and if they're not screaming, they're playing shit music that I don't know and understand. Yeah. Because it's not from 2007 or before. <laughs> Yeah, so my music would go back even further than that, I think. You're talking modern stuff there. <laughs> that's my absolute latest. That's all I get. That's all I know. Okay. And speaking of 2007, that's the year this episode's from that we're looking at this oh, week. Oh, well, look at that. Levels, mate. Fucking levels of professionalism on this podcast. Look at that segue straight into the Doctor Who episode. That was brilliant. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning what a segue is. I did a good one on my last UTT recording. I'm trying to get one in per recording. Brilliant stuff. Well, you tick that box just today, mate. You tick that box today. Great. Great yes. See you. <laughs> yes. Today's episode is from New Who and from David Tennant's era as the Time Lord. Blink. Dan, I remember this being very, very good. I have not seen it since it first aired. My memory serves me well. This was sodden brilliant. Yeah, I remember watching it when it first aired. I would have been eighteen, and I watched it with uh, watched it with my old man. And I love horror films, as I mentioned before, and this ticks a lot of those same boxes uh, that horror movies do. It is a genuinely creepy episode, but introducing, in my opinion, the best villain bar none that's been introduced by New Who. Mm. The Weeping Angels are. So creepy and so scary, and there's no real way to reason with them or bargain your way out or or get around what they want to do. They just want to zap you back in time, live off the potential energy of the life you could have lived. There's nothing. There's no way out mm. unless you can unless you can somehow trick or trap one but who the how the hell are you going to do that yeah yeah see with, with the weeping angels i think the 
this is the scariest they've been for me on this very first episode. Yeah. Everything they've done since has still been brilliant, but this is the scariest for me. And I think that part of that is to do with the setting. It's mm. a case of they fit in where they are. They're in like a, an overgrown garden, just look like a stone statue. And then when yeah. you see them in the house later on, they are out of place because they're in this house and that freaks out a bit more. There was, I can't remember the exact details of it, but there was one occasion where Weeping Angels were in an episode and wherever they were, it didn't seem a natural place for a stone statue to be. So that kind of would, threw would me off a little the, bit. Would that be the Amy and Rory era with Matt Smith where they had, where they'd essentially set up a human farm in a hotel in New York in the 30s? where they'd lure people there and just keep zapping them back into the rooms. So every time they tried to escape, they just put them back into that room and just keep okay, feeding think, off them that way. That might be right. I can't remember. The, I mean, again, it's been a long time since I've watched a lot of this new who, you know, some of it I've only seen once when it first aired, so I'm potentially right. But I just remember that this being, by comparison to the other locations, this seeming to fit really, really well. This just felt right for this particular villain, if that makes sense. Oh, it definitely does. It, it, it's it's an old abandoned house, which is so classic horror movie. Essentially, it's and, you know, and like you say, you see an old house, the garden's overgrown. You see an old statue. You're not going to blink twice. Pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to think twice about it, though, are you? You're just going to see it there. And go, All right, yeah, it's an old, old crappy statue. What's that going to do? But yeah, but I'm just going to go into straight to the first scene uh, before the credits. Um, you see, we see this young woman climbing over the over the gates. There's a danger keep outside. The wind's whipping the leaves. There's a fox crying in the distance, which is one of the worst noises ever. And it's all very classic horror, like set up. Yeah. She, you know, she's taking photos of the house. There's ivy in the fireplace. And she peels back this wallpaper because you can see some writing underneath it. it says, beware the weeping angel. And she looks outside, sees the sees the statue, mm-hmm. and then I read this in Tennant's voice. I don't know about you. He said, "Oh, and duck, really, duck, Sally yeah. Sparrow, duck now." And the rock crashes. Not not Dwayne Johnson, but the rock cra- rock crashes through the window. <laughs> if you smell, <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine Dwayne Johnson done up as a weeping angel, just coming in and like smell and dropping all the statues? <laughs> <laughs> With his eyes shut. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the stone would have hit her in the head. She turns and shines a torch. The, the angel's still there. And it peel, uh, peels more of the paper away and says, love from the doctor in brackets, 1969. Now, this was a really cool opening. Yeah. Um, and I, I want your thoughts on it first before I get to my, my problem with it. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, first of all, I'm very interested to hear your problem with it. But yeah, I, I, I loved this because... We've said before, haven't we, in the episodes, and and when I've I've been talking to Benny on the waiting room, time travel stuff, for me, I love kind of, I suppose, the levels that you can have to it. So Mm. something happens in a certain time, and then you see the repercussions of that in another time, and we get it here with the letter that we're going to talk about shortly, don't we? Mm. Uh, and, And so on. I love all that sort of stuff. So having this message on the wall, Beware the weeping angel. Anyone could have could have written that. That could be that could be a message from anyone for anyone. Then putting it back to reveal the the young lady's name, that is brilliant. And then putting it back again, saying it's from the doctor, and then the music hits in. To me, as an intro, 
I was like, wow, I'm all about this. This is awesome. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's fantastic. It sets up who who she is, who Sally Sparrow is. You know, we've got the location. We we know roughly the enemy we're looking for. And this was uh, Kerry Mulligan who plays Sally Sparrow. This was her eighth TV credit in, right, her, okay. in her career. And she's gone on to be Oscar nominated twice for Best Supporting Actress in a Leading Role. Why? And, but she kind of, part of her start was in Doctor Who. That's brilliant. Which I think is really cool. Uh, but onto my problem with the uh, with the opening. And this is sort of jumping ahead a little bit, but one of the one of the classic things in this episode is the speech the doctor gives when when he's saying, Don't blink, don't even blink. And he says they are fast, faster than you can possibly imagine. So these creatures who are faster than you can possibly imagine, why did it feel the need to use a rock? Yeah. If it's that yeah. quick. It, surely throwing the rock, a creature that quick throwing the rock, surely should have meant that the rock either travelled so fast that she, that Sally wouldn't have had time to duck, or the angel. It would have just been quicker for the angel just to whip up and just bit on. Yeah, I, I suppose you're right. I mean, I I didn't think of it from the the throwing the rock aspect. I did think of it from the whole she turns, sees the statue, looks back at the message. Now, what we know about the weeping angels is they're just going to go. So mm. she turns back again and it's, it's, it's there still in theory, from what we know about them and how they behave later in the episode, when she looks at it, then looks back at the message, bang, she's dead. That's it. Done within like a second. Cause it'll just fly at her, get her and done. Now, obviously that then means we've not got an episode. That's the end of the story. But, yeah. um, <laughs> so it won't work for the TV episode, I guess. But from my standpoint, that, doesn't quite make sense. The whole rock thing, you, you're spot on. I didn't even think of that. That's not, like an extra layer to it. But to me, it's like, why didn't they just kill her there and then? Yeah. I think the only thing I can think of is that the, the, the angels are living beings, the, the sentient, the, they're intelligent. Maybe, or maybe what it, the problem is that they're just looking at this, this woman thinking when she's going to, the, the kind of, they're just waiting for that more perfect moment. Because right, okay. we're, talk, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about how they behave later. They do like to almost stalk and intimidate people, you know, get closer, get closer. But yeah, it's just something, it literally, it's something that I've not, I've not thought of about the, the whole throwing the rock thing. Not thought of until yesterday when I watched this. And now it bugs the shit out of me. But, <laughs> but, but this is all nitpicking anyway, yeah. because... It's this whole thing's bloody brilliant. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, next up, I suppose we then get the actual intro to the show, the music, the graphics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We always have a little chat about what we think of those. Very, it, to me, this is very new. Who? What did you? What mm. did you think? It's essentially the same as the Eccleston one. This is kind mm-hmm. of, in terms of nostalgia, this is my Doctor Who intro. If you like, this is the one I one I grew up watching the show with. You know, in my late teens. This is to me. It's all. It's, I'm not going to say perfect, but it's the one that that hits the nostalgia button. Yeah, I, I love the I love the sort of I love the sort of elongated oval logo. The with this, they've slightly tweaked the font that they use on the uh, on the names that's coming through the vortex. So it's slightly less like something from uh, Microsoft Word art in the nineties. Um, <laughs> and they've just tweaked the spacing on the lettering in, in the logo. 
it's not a vast amount, but it does improve it. So yeah, I, this is one of my favourites, and it is purely, purely biased uh, based <laughs> based on my nostalgia. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. No, I, I liked it too. I liked it too. It's great. Uh, I got a big thing about seeing the TARDIS kind of spinning around on screen during the intros. And mm. I think a bit of that goes back to the, the first Doctor I can properly remember. It was Sylvester McCoy. And yeah. it happened on his intro, on his graphics. And I think yes. maybe on some level that kind of makes me want it to happen when I watch Doctor Who now, in some way, I guess. It's just cool seeing the TARDIS in flight. Yeah, that's that's what it boils down to for me. And I just uh, with this with this intro, I always love seeing an interpretation of the time vortex as well. No, it's good. It's good. I reckon it's excellent, and it's aged well as well. I mean, this is like you said, two thousand and seven. It's what fifteen years ago now, is it? Is yeah, I had, that, I had that. Exi- I had that existential crisis this morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, it still looks good today, doesn't it? I guess it does. Yeah, we, we've seen a lot of this that, that looks ropey and. Even from you know from two thousand and five, things mm. that you know things that haven't aged well. So for the uh, for the intro to still look good is is a triumph, and I think it's one of the things that this episode does well is that there's not a lot in this that can age badly. Yeah, it's in essence apart from a few dated things like as we will come to sort of in the next bit uh, when Kathy wakes up in bed answering a phone. I got a huge nostalgia pop for the flip phone. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> something as simple as that like oh flip phones in the mid 2000s they're what coming back mate, aren't they flip phones they're coming back my boss has got a smartphone like you know, like a touch screen smartphone like everyone seems to have nowadays yeah. but it, it opens and shuts like a flip phone yeah I don't see the point I just I just don't see the point if you've got to have a smartphone have a smartphone it's like it's one of those where people have thought oh what if smartphones but also flip phones and then thought is that really necessary Mm. But then they've seen the potential in the gimmick and people will gravitate to it. So, yeah, fair maybe. enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Plus, it was always satisfying, weren't there? Right? When you had an argument with someone, slamming your phone shut to hang up on them. Oh, I had uh, I had a couple of Motorola razors. Right. And they had, I was, it was, and it was just flip, slap. And I was like, I really hope I'm not broken the screen. <laughs> 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 but yeah, they were like clamshell ones were just great. Just real meaty crunch to them. Yeah, great stuff, wasn't it? Uh, we're basically in um, in Kathy's flat here, aren't we? In this yeah. next scene, Sa- uh, Sally has let herself in and gets a an eyeful, shall we say? From right, first off, <laughs> first off, what kind of friend wanders into somebody's kitchen at one a.m.? It's obviously not an emergency because she's had time to ring Kathy and make a coffee and just sit there, mm-hmm. laugh at her brother's dick. I tell her to fuck <laughs> off. I say, no, if you've got time, if you've got to, if you've got time to do that. It can wait until the morning. You're just yeah. being you, you're being a bit. You're fair enough. You freaked out, but it's a bit dramatic to waltz into my kitchen, wake me up, and cop an eyeful of me of my brother's pickle. <laughs> yeah, and he knew what he was doing as well, didn't he? He walks out in the bath and he stands there for a little bit, points downwards, and goes, eh, "I'm not sure. Am I wearing anything?" And she's no, like, no, no. I've got. A he, knew, he knew what he was doing. He didn't. He's a dumbass. He did not know <laughs> what he's doing. He's it's the middle of the night. He's groggy. He might have been drunk. Let's face it. If it were me or you, we would have been pissed. And this is not. And he's yeah. exactly. Like, he's not sure, but really, really hoping. Mm, I <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got then you've got his sister bollocking him for what sounds like the millionth time to just put his fucking undies on. Yeah, yeah. But no, in, in fairness that. to in fairness to him, it's his house. 
What is what is Sally doing there? She shouldn't be there to get an eyeful. <laughs> perhaps she's just really lazy and she's using her mate. Perhaps perhaps Kathy's flat is just around the corner from the scary house. And where Sally actually lives is like a bus ride away. She's missed the last bus. She thinks, fuck it, I'm just gonna crash at my mates. Perhaps it's something as simple as that. Could be. It's still a bit annoying in my in yeah, my mind. No, I, I agree and, with and, you. And I'm saying I'm saying this I'm saying this as someone who once got absolutely shit hammered, thought I was too drunk to go home. Thought I know my mates always my mates always got got the door open and somebody's usually awake. They've not been out with me. I just rocked up and knocked up, walked in the door. It's like I'm really drunk and I sleep here. And they're trying, yeah, fine off the sofa. And then I just felt like an absolute tool the next morning. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> we see the doctor for the first time in the episode, really, don't we? But it's not the doctor himself. It's numerous faces of the doctor plugged into various DVD players and screens scattered all over all over the room uh, as we get our first, I suppose, introduction to this this video message. Yeah, and it it all looks a bit odd, doesn't it? The whole setup, just all the screens mm. around it's, it, it is very strange and, and rightly questioned. Um, but it, it's one of these where you get these occasional Doctor Light episodes where it just makes it makes the Doctor's appearance more more special, if you like. You know, like yeah. less is more sometimes. Yeah, totally, totally, and. In this instance, they decide that I would say they, sorry, Sally and Kathy, they're going to go back to the house, Dan, aren't they? They're going to go back and have a little look at what's what's going on, the message on the wall, and so on. Because the natural thing to do and the horror movie thing to do is when something shit you up in the dark, you best go back in the day. Yes, exactly. The weeping angel has moved is a line that is said ah, relatively yes. early on in this song. You've missed a couple of good bits when they're climbing over the gates. Because it's Sally Sparrow and Kathy Nightingale, and Sally uh, Kathy's getting all excited about them being girl investigators, and you know she makes the connection. Oh, Sparrow and Nightingale, and <laughs> Sally has a great line where she just looks at from bit ITV, which obviously <laughs> they're on the BBC. <laughs> it yeah, was, it was a it was a good one, and that's quite cool. Th- at this point, I always think that Sally's a maybe a bit of a dick, right? Well, there's an exchange where Kathy said, "Why did you come here anyway?" Or at least a bit of a hipster dick. So, and she says, "I love old things; they make me feel sad." And Kathy says, "Well, what's good about sad?" And Sally calls yeah. and says, "It's happy for deep people." And I've just got in my notes like, "Fuck off, you pretentious twat!" Oh, that is nonsense, isn't it? I mean, I don't get me wrong; I could appreciate looking around abandoned places and so on. I'd find that fascinating, you know. Yes, yeah, absolutely old buildings and so on. I love, I love as well. I spent God knows how long looking at shipwrecks online and abandoned uh, buildings and abandoned, uh, like whole housing estates that are just ghost towns. I love all that sort of stuff to the point where literally yesterday, my wife told me off because the down the road for me is what used to be called the Peel center in Gloucester, where the cinema mm. was and, and lots of, you know, like a big sort of shopping retail estate. It's all basically empty now, apart from a couple of bits and bobs. The old Toys R Us building is still there. And I said to my daughter, we should just go go see if we can get in there one night and have a look around. <laughs> and my wife was quite cross with me that I was suggesting to my 12-year-old that we break into the old Toys R Us building. But I find that fascinating because it's been sat there. It's been sat there for a decade, untouched. I'd love to just have a look, you know? 
Um, but yeah, no, I can't get what you mean. But it's yeah, it's just, that justification of it is very is quite pretentious. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm looking at it from I'm interested. It'd be fascinating. Not a oh yeah, want to feel sad and all emo bollocks. That's nonsense, mate. <laughs> yeah. I just I love Kathy's line as well when they see the angel and Kathy just looks and wouldn't have that in my garden. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy's great. I reckon she, she's a great character. We don't see enough of her, I don't think, you know? No. Um, she ended up, a couple of years after this, she ended up having a sort of a year or two in uh, in Casualty. Because I went through a phase of watching Casualty. Don't know why. Okay. Um, and she was good in that as well. But I just kept looking at her going, you didn't get zapped back there. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to be 1920. <laughs> Yeah, perhaps she perhaps she did go back to nineteen twenty, became a nurse, worked that long, and just had a really really good moisturizer. <laughs> She's actually like ninety seven in casualty, but you can't tell. <laughs> and faked her own death for the purposes of this episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the front doorbell rings at the house where Kathy and Sally are. And there's a, a man stood there in a suit saying he's looking for Sally Sparrow with a letter in his hand. That, that I, again, this is where it comes to the moments where I think I love this stuff. Yeah. I knew this had scratched that part of your brain. Like this whole episode, the back and forth, the cause and effect of stuff happening in the past and yeah. the future and, and the, the cycle sort of, of everything not quite fitting in timeline-wise for someone's present is another f- person's future or past or, or whatever. It was um, it was really good, but um, in this as well, you get another great line from uh, from Sally this time. Kathy's saying it could be a burglar. A burglar rings the doorbell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a very polite burglar. Excuse me, can I come in and take your stuff? <laughs> yeah, and I, I just I, there's two like this is this episode is quite well written in, at certain points because Sally just looks and says, "How did you know I'd be here?" Which is a really fair question. Yeah, and he's like, "Well, it's a long story," and then. He asks, the, the guy asks for photo ID to make sure that she's Sally Sparrow, which is also a fair question. Yeah. It's, it's really, I mean, don't get me wrong, we're talking about a programme where people travel through time in a little blue box. So it's all going to be a little bit strange. But this is an odd setup, isn't it? Can you imagine being one of these people in this scenario? You're, you're in somebody else's house and somebody has rang the doorbell for you and asked you by name and then wants to see photo ID, even though they're the ones who have come to you. And then on the other side of the coin, you're this fella who has this letter and he's held on to for years and years. At he's least pressed the, Yeah, he's, he's pressed the doorbell and he's been told something decades ago will happen and there it is happening in front of him. Can you imagine being in that scenario yourself? That'd be mind-blowing, wouldn't it? It'd be, it'd be blowing my mind because on some level I'd be going, my grandma sent me on a fucking wild goose chase here. Yeah. She's, just, you know, she's, she's having me on one last time. But this is the point where we get the first real sort of creepy moment because Kathy stayed behind, hasn't she? Because she's afraid, which yeah, kind of get shouldn't you know there shouldn't be there and all the rest of it. But she goes and sort of has a quick look at the statue, and as she turns around, she she obscures the statue with her body, and as soon as the statue comes back into shot, it's moved its hands away from its face, mm. and it's something yeah. so subtle and so simple, but sends a shiver up my back every time I see it. I think this is really, really well done because it is, like you said, it's, it's all those things. It's simple, it's subtle, but it's a moment where you, when you notice it, no matter how, because no one on screen, 
it just happens. There's no, nothing points mm-hmm. it out. Nobody reacts to it. And it happens a few times in this episode where yeah. they're, they're walking. They don't even cut the camera. They're walking in front of an angel and the angel changes, but they don't notice because they're walking past it. But we as the viewer see, and it's again, it's there's no sound effects. There's no, there's no dramatic sort of reactions on screen to that mm-hmm. happening. But at home, it's like, oh, why? And it's like a bolt straight at you. It's like, oh, God, it moved. You know, it's yeah. oh, it's fantastically done. It makes you sit up and, and you you want to do what it's, it's almost pantomime-esque. And you go, it's behind you. It's yeah. behind you, you know? <laughs> yeah. You're just there just wanting to scream at the TV. Um, oh, I love it. And then even in this bit, even just in this bit, the way the angel moves with the camera and, and works with that is fantastic. Mm. Because... Uh, Kathy goes back for another, you know, she's eavesdropping essentially and looking at the front door through, a, you know, in a mirror. And then as the camera pans back, she's got her head poking through the door. Then as the camera pans back, the angel's there reaching for the door or reaching for her. You say, run, run, yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's so good. And it's that... It's the suspense, isn't it, that gets you? I mean, I, yeah. I think I've said, I think I've had this conversation with you before, Dan. But I've definitely had it with my son, who, who my son enjoys horror films, but he's very much watching films nowadays and looking for blood and guts. To me, a horror film should be scary, not just gory. And I look at the old classics, like for example, Halloween, as a, as one of my favourite movies of all time. It's not necessarily when you see the monster stab the guy or the girl. It's knowing the monster's there and it's coming. That's yeah. the scare for me. And you get this here. It's so well done. The actual the actual uh, process of when the angel gets the, the victim, gets to Kathy or whoever it may well be, and basically zaps them away. It, there's nothing to that. That's not, in, its, in itself, that's not scary. That's a person just mm-hmm. disappearing. But it's the build-up to that moment. That I think the tension, the suspense, that is the, that is the thrill. That is the scare there for me. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and we'll come to some other parts of it later on. And I'm going to save a point about the weeping angels themselves until the end, just until near the end, just to see if we've clocked the same thing. Okay. But I'll, I'll bring that up after. But if I, if I don't, please remind me. Yeah, yeah, no problem at all. Um, there's a note I've got here. We didn't unveil, I suppose, about the whole the situation with the man at the door and so on and who he ended up being. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll let you I'll let you take the lead on that in a moment, Dan, but I just want to tell you the note I've got here says that the man at the door is Kathy's grandma. So obviously I've got that wrong. I know what I mean, but for some reason I must have been writing down quickly. I've got that completely ass about face. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, Sally and, and this fella have an exchange uh, saying, you know, who he, who is he, where, how, why, who told him to come here? And he was sent by his grandmother, who was called Catherine Wainwright. But she insisted that he that he give Sally her full name, which was Catherine Costello Nightingale. Yeah. At which point, Sally starts accusing Kathy of playing a joke. And she's, you know, freaking out. She's trying to find Kathy, who's already been been got by the angel. Um, and she, you know, she comes back and she's saying, you know, she's going off at the guy saying, "It's sick. What you're doing is sick. What you're playing at." And he, he's, he's, he, I feel really bad for the guy because she said, at some point she comes back and she says, "You know, this was your grandmother." So yeah, she died twenty years ago, and she's looking at pictures of Kathy from the past, and she laughs at him. And the poor guy, it, it's, it's. It, 
it, I don't think it's a malicious laugh. It's a what the fuck? That's insane laugh. Yeah, yeah. But this poor guy who's obviously you know, he's lost his grandma. It was twenty years ago, whatever. But he's finally fulfilling this promise he made. It's a big moment for him. She's just laughed in his face. Yeah. But that. But I tell you what, the actor there, the actor there, conveyed so much emotion in one look, in one hurt look. That really stood out to me as uh, as as fantastic. Mm. Uh, to be quite honest. Just that one little moment. Um, we're talking, you know, talk about maximizing your minutes on screen. Um, but yeah, essentially, he is Kathy's grandson. She's been been zapped back to, to Hull in 1920. Um, as they say in the show, stop saying Hull. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which made me laugh. Because she's, yeah, she's, she's taken one breath in 2007 and then another in 1920. How the hell do you deal with that? Yeah. It's mad. And you see her, don't you? You see Kathy in 1920 messing around on her phone uh, and speaking to a young lad who's, who's sat on a, a fence or a wall or something in yeah. in her modern day clothes, which I'm bearing in mind you've been watching her in her 2007 gear, so to speak, mm. all the way through this episode. But then in a flash, she's in a field with a kid in a flat cap chewing some hay. And it's, again, it's little... He's, he's, he's eating an apple. Is he really? Okay. Yeah. In my in my mind, the Mandela effect there, thinking he's chewing some hay. Um, yeah, well, I think that says more about where you live than Yorkshire, mate. Well, yeah, that's what everyone does around here, mate. You know, we, we, <laughs> we don't sell cigarettes in the off license. We sell packs of hay in 20s. <laughs> this, is more, this, is more, this is me hit my hay for my tractor. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, he's. She instantly looks out of place, even though they're just in a field. And again, I think that is a really clever thing they've done there. It's not. I'm not saying it's an intentional thing. I'm not saying it was a big deal because she's been zapped back in the clothes she's wearing. Of course, she's not going to change her clothes mid-time travel. Of course not. <laughs> but to me, it really, the fact that what, what she's wearing looked so alien just in this field next to this lad, I think really helped with the stark contrast of being zapped back to 1920. Yeah, definitely. It really does. Um, you know, she's there, denim, denim jeans, leather jacket. He's there in his, you know, just... Regular trousers and braces and, and a flat cap. And hey. And an apple. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the angels are in the house, though, Dan, aren't they? The angels are in the house. Yeah, as, um, as Sally's reading the letter. Um, the, it gets it, It's actually a really good work with the voiceover uh, here, you know, running down what's what's happened to Kathy. And, you know, it's been, been for Sally, it's been many minutes for her. For Kathy, it's been over 60 years. And you know, she named her youngest daughter Sally after after Sally Sparrow. Mm. Um, she, she goes upstairs. Um, in fact, actually, that's the point. She throws everything down, goes upstairs looking for Kathy, but finds a room full of angels. Yeah, and one of them is holding a key on a string. Yeah, and you hear a flutter behind Sally. She turns around, but it's it's just it's just statues. And she leans down to investigate the key, and as she does that, we get another of these great. Moments where the the person in the scene obscures an angel, and it's done something different. You know, she, she, as soon as it comes back into view, it's, it, it's moved or just mm. slightly moved. It it's just so good. So you know, moves its hands away from its face, and then the one on the left does the same thing. But as she stands up, they've gone back to how they were to make sure the to make sure the hidden, you know, essentially safe from her. Yes. Yeah. Again, it's so creepy and oh man, it just but, but, but they, chills, they, doesn't they, it? They, they up the game. Did you see what happened with the angel that took the key off her as she turned around? Go on. 
So she turned around to look at the others and then she hears the door slam. Did you see the shadow on the back of her head? As the oh. angel's hand was reaching yes, for her. Yes. Oh it's man, again, that's not like, Turn around, turn around. And then, it, you know, she runs off and you see the angel there, you know, with the hand out. Oh, just so good. But another nice, really nice little touch that for what is essentially a character in, in, for, in on screen for all of like two minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, Kathy's grandson has, has taken the time to scoop everything back up, put a laggy band around it and leave it on a little side table for Sally. Yeah. He didn't have yeah. to do that. No, it's good. I'll tell you what I'm really happy about as well. It's exactly what I do. <laughs> he doesn't get zapped by the angels either, does he? He get he gets away, and I like that because it'd have been a shame if. It, and you could see if if they had done it, you could see why, as he's running out across the garden, an angel just gets him. You could see why because it would add more to the 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 peril or the the sinisterness of the angels, I guess. But I'm glad because he was a nice dude. I'm glad he got away. Yeah, he was just he was just a bloke fulfilling a promise to his grandma. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't exactly. need to have anything bad happen to him. But as Sally runs out of the house with the envelope contents, the uh, the camera pans around the windows of the house, mm. and all the angels are there. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean that's oh. a, again, that's a real. Uh, you'll know more than I, Dan, of course. But that's that's a real kind of. In my mind, I think of an old, old horror movie with that, with like the apes looking back at the house and something being in the windows. I've seen so many films or even just TV programs where that is the scenario. Yeah. You catch, you see somebody stood there like, you know, the murderer or, or you know, the villain, whatever, you know, stood looming, looking out from the house. Yeah. It's, it's a classic thing, but done, done really well here. Mm. Yeah. It's brilliant. Sally heads off to something that a lot of younger viewers, I suppose, won't really understand what it is because it doesn't exist anymore. I guess Sally heads off to a DVD store. You've missed a little bit again that I just Have want I to really? touch on. Oh, just a little, I'm just rubbish. a little bit. I'm, yeah, this week. I'm just too excited. Chris, she goes and sits in a cafe, uh, does Sally, and reads the rest of the letter. Right. Um, and it's just explaining how, you know, there's, there's a really nice moment where she said, where Kathy's written to her and saying, don't feel sorry for me. I've led a good, a good and full life. I've loved a good man and been well loved in return. You'd have liked Ben. He was the very first person I met in 1920. Mm. The lab and, the uh, yeah, the apple. <laughs> um, <laughs> but all this leads Sally to visit visit a friend's grave, mm. which is considering she went out with her that morning has got to be a complete mindfuck. Yeah, but she clocks um, she clocks the date of birth that's given on the gravestone, <laughs> and she looks at it and she says, <laughs> "She says you told him you were eighteen, you lying cow." <laughs> and that's oh. that is that is weirdly relatable yeah. um, because I, I won't go into too much detail because I don't want to bring bring the mood down but uh, I've mentioned in a previous episode lost a friend at relatively young age I did something similar <laughs> okay <laughs> just when when I went to see him in the chapel arrest I just went alright mate wake up joke's over now come on stop fucking about <laughs> <laughs> just to check yeah just to make sure that's that's yeah. like the, the ultimate wind up in it that's that's real commitment to the bit if that was the case <laughs> but then also if any if anybody in another room or if i'd have heard a voice coming from anywhere i'd have shit my pants and run out yeah yeah totally <laughs> see i don't know what's wrong with me today it must be just because I'm, I'm absolutely flying i'm absolutely buzzing about talking about this episode because i've actually got a note here about finding the grave and all this sort of stuff I just literally skipped over it and jumped straight to the next bit. 
Yeah. Well, speaking of the DVD store, the guy who's working behind the counter um, is a comedian uh, called Ian Boldsworth, who went under the stage name Ray Peacock. And I first saw this guy in the in Doctor Who, and then years later he was on the Russell, on Russell Howard show uh, doing okay. stand up, and he just it turns out he ended up doing a, a brief podcast with um, uh, with Jim Sterling, who's one of my favourite uh, video game sort of reviewers, content creators, and podcasters. Right, and it was just a great tie-in of a few of my favourite things, which is Doctor Who, stand-up comedy, and video games. This guy spanned them all, but he's a just dude all thick in between the three of them, like. Yeah, well, he's been podcasting in one way or another since 2007. Why? So he's like, he was in at the very ground floor. Mm. And of all things, you know, this is all like quite spooky. And, and I, I suppose you could say a little bit supernatural. Um, he does a he did a podcast called The Parapod, which was debunking sort of paranormal activity and, oh. and, and ghost tales and stuff like that. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, okay. Nice little <laughs> shout for, uh, for Ian Boldsworth. Oh, brilliant. And uh, Oh, that was the other one. Uh, we've already seen uh, Larry briefly, or Lawrence briefly, and we're going to see him again in a second. Um, Finley Robertson, who played Lawrence, actually reprised the role of Lawrence um, in a video game last year that was based on the Weeping Angels, Doctor Who, the Lonely wow. Assassins. Not actually played it, didn't know it was a thing, but found that out last night. Oh, that's cool. See, when you mentioned video games there and the Weeping Angels. I always sort of get the likeness between the Weeping Angels and the little white ghosts from Mario Bros. 3. <laughs> where, do you know what I mean? Where if you if you if you got your back to them, they fly towards you. You turn around and they threes. <laughs> I know? would absolutely love it if that was one of the uh, uh, one of the inspirations. Yeah, uh, I, I hated them bastards because it made the game so tricky. <laughs> God bless Mario Brothers Three, man. It's one of the best games I ever played. Probably one of the only games I ever played. But there we go. <laughs> never, never played it. Did you not? Oh, mate, Mario Three was amazing. I was. A, I had a Sega Mega Drive growing up. I never had a Nintendo. Oh, okay. Well, you should get one. You should do it. Mario 3, mate. That's hours of entertainment right now. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) at the DVD store, uh, Lawrence, Kathy's brother, works there. And she passed, Sally passes the message on that she's got to go away for a while. But not before before absolutely having Lawrence's life. When uh, when he looks at her and says, do I know you? Oh, yeah. And she says, it'll come to you. And he has that realisation, and he moves the popcorn bowl in front of his crotch. Yeah. And the this, this smirk on Sally's face as she goes, there it is. <laughs> Just absolutely tickled the piss out yeah, of me. That was, it was great. Much-needed comic relief. And um, we, we see the Doctor again, don't we, on the screens? Yeah. They're, They're obsessed the... with this video, aren't they? There's like a whole community obsessed with this video. Yeah, it, like internet forums and stuff like that, and we find out that he's an Easter egg that appears on 17 totally unrelated DVDs and nobody knows where it came from. And it is, is giving the like half conversation, if you like, um, you know, long pauses saying certain, saying seemingly random things. And this is where it was a kind of a sign of the times thing where Sally says to him, when you say you and the guys, you mean the internet, don't you? And it was almost like in a half judgmental kind of way. Yeah, almost like, oh, you geeks. Yeah, you know, you fucking loser. And she does this a couple of times, which again, is kind of a a thing that makes me think that Sally might be a bit of a dick. Um, But it's just a sign of the times in that back in 2007, sort of participating in internet forums and chatting to strangers online was seen as weird. Now with the advent of Twitter, it's completely normal. And ends up in and ends up in 
people working together and forming great friendships. You know, like we've we've done with the whole you know, CWF community and and you know myself come, uh, coming into like being a content creator through Mags and everybody else. It's just and now it's completely sort of normal and part of society. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose as well the the development of the mobile phone to the smartphone and so on really oh, yeah. helps with that because you've got you've got this little tiny plastic gateway to the whole world in your pocket at all times and and you yeah. can communicate i mean you live we've never met in person but we've done numerous podcasts together and we've spoken online for a long time mm. but you live what what must it be 120 130 miles away from me probably more something along those lines and I, I still message her pretty much daily. And it's like, you know, I, I consider you a good friend of mine, but we've never met actually face to face. It's. And you're, it's a you're, 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 and you're a treasured acquaintance of mine. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a bastard. Nah, you know, I love you, mate. Um, it's 150. Oh, actually, that's less than I thought. 152 miles. Ah, there you go. There you go. So yeah, it, you, you, you were closer than I thought you'd be. I need to start giving you more credit. Yeah, I got a rough idea about geography, but it literally just because of football teams and where they are and, and stuff like that is kind of my, you know. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm shit with anything below Birmingham. Okay. Well, below Birmingham, there's us, and then just like the edge of the country and sea, I think. <laughs> not much else. <laughs> Bit of sand, and then it's just wet until you get to France. <laughs> It's just wet until you get to France. <laughs> and, and people chewing hay. Yeah, that's it. People chewing hay, sat in the field, waiting for time travellers to drop on their lap and then to marry them. Um, <laughs> oh, no. oh, well, yeah, mine were just eating apples and waiting for time travellers to yeah. pop in the lap and marry. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, Sally's sort of half answering the Doctor at this early stage, though, isn't she? She doesn't know what the video is. It's just playing in the background. And she kind of mm. says a couple of things which, which coincides with the doctor's responses on this pre-recorded pre-recorded message which would freak you out yes because <laughs> you'd be like uh, no okay there's been too much weirdness today my mate's just been sat back in time i've seen a grave Oof, no this is too much weirdness and then we kind of get that from sally as well where she st- she pauses the dvd she said no it's been a long day and i've had bloody enough yeah when she's leaving the the dvd store the fella that you mentioned about, who's the, who's done the podcasting, is ho- is like almost like the yeah. the is, is front of shop at this moment. He's on the phone or, or talking to talking to a movie, or he's basically shouting out, "Well, if that's happened, why don't you just go to the police?" And he's it's almost like, film. yeah, and it's almost like he's talking to Sally, but he's not. He's actually shouting at the screen or whatever. And I, I just twigged all of a sudden that yeah, why hasn't she gone to the police? Her best mates disappeared. She took the time first to get flowers and take it to a grave, take them to the grave. Well, it's because with with the disappearance. She already knows where she's gone. Mm. She knows what's happened. So what are the police going to do, apart from launch an investigation that she knows will go nowhere? Well, I suppose. And that will only incriminate her. Yeah, I suppose. I, mean, I don't know. I, I just think that I, my first instinct would be, shit, I need to, I need to talk to someone like this. I need to, I need to do something about this. Mm. And the police would be the first people that pop in your mind, I guess. Yeah, I suppose to a point, but I think maybe if she hadn't received the letters and things like that, then it'd be a go to the police thing. But mm. now that she she's got a bit more information, I completely I can see why she'd go. And she does go to the police. In fairness to her, there's a there's a desk sergeant there who's obviously thinking that she's full of full of shit. But as soon as she drops <laughs> the name of the, but as soon as she drops the name of the house, West of Drumlins, is it right? Hang on, stay there. 
Yeah. And we get another great bit of Sally going to the window and looking at the angels that are carved into the building across the across the way. Yeah. Which looks to be a church or something. And we get a close-up of her eyes as she blinks. And as she opens them, the angels are gone. And she just looks at her and she goes, okay, I'm cracking up now. Yeah. Which would be, which is a perfectly reasonable response. It's, it's an astronomy get- rain as well, which again, I think is another old uh, horror movie kind of effect potentially or horror movie sort of setting the stage i think the hammering down of rain makes it creepier yeah yeah i think it's the um it's the it's, i think it's just like the ambient noise in the background where everything's just a little louder so you're having to strain to hear things mm. a little bit more and your senses are a little bit heightened um but then we get a wider shot of the window that she's looking out from the angels are either side of the window oh that's so good <laughs> it's that shivering again in it oh, and, it's uh, so good but what I like about this, this, we've mentioned wrestling a lot on this podcast, and, and the, there's a lot of times you, we talk about wrestling matches being well-paced. Mm-hmm. This episode to me is well-paced because they know exactly when to just bring it down for a second. We've had a lot of heavy stuff happen like quite quickly up to this point. And now we get uh, D.I. Billy Shipton coming. And there's a nice bit of light-heartedness for a little while. Where I mean, fair enough. He starts by explaining that you know these are all the cars of people who've disappeared in Western Drumlands or outside yeah. it. But there's bas- <laughs> it's basically from the off chance these two are like hmm, quite like the look of you. <laughs> you know, they're both they're both Billy's, fucking Billy's each other from the off. Billy's a player. Billy's got game. He's he's, yeah. blatantly, he's he's looking at this and he's thinking, I'm going to take her down to my car lot, show her all the mystery abandoned cars. And whilst I'm doing that, and she's a little bit, a little bit nervous, a little bit worried about what's going on, I'm going to hit on this lass. That's his plan. <laughs> but Sally's wise to it, in fairness. But the TARDIS is also down there. Yeah, that was uh, great as well. You just see it in the distance. Don't you? Oh, but he, he, Billy, Billy calls it out. He says it's it's a police box. He has to explain what police box is. He says it's not a real one though because the phones are dummy and the windows are the wrong size. Yeah. It says we can't even get into it. Ordinary, ordinary Yale lock, but nothing fits. I said, but that's not the big question. You're missing the big question. And then she's like, "What? Right, what is it? Just, will you come for a drink with me?" <laughs> <laughs> and she's, she's like, "Excuse me." It's like you, me, drink now. And she calls him up. She's like, "Aren't you on duty, Detective Inspector Shipton?" And he, he, this fucking line. He says, "Nope, knocked off before I left." Told the minor family crisis. She asks him why. He says, "Because life is short and you were hot." <laughs> yeah, brilliant. <laughs> Go on, Billy. Go get yourself some, pal. Oh, dear me. <laughs> Billy, Billy thinks with his dick Shipton. Yes, exactly. There was another sort of funny and, and relatable moment as well where she does give Billy a phone number and he just goes, and that's Sally, you know, looking for a last name. And, says, and she says, Sally Shipton. Yeah. And, it's, it's, and she, she's embarrassed to all shit, yeah. which you would be. We've all had moments like that. And it's actually really sort of nice interaction between the two where he's like, I'm definitely going to call you. I'll call you tomorrow. Might call you tonight. Yeah. And he's like, definitely going to call you. And she just shouts back, she says, you're definitely better. And it's like, oh, you know, she had something nice happen to her finally today. Yeah. Yeah. Her best mates disappeared. She's getting chased by scary stone murdering monsters and all sorts. So yeah, it's nice that something good's actually happened. <laughs> it's not, yeah. the, day is not, the day is not a complete write-off. <laughs> But it breaks the tension as well. Yeah. For the for the viewer. Until Billy turns around and there are angels surrounding the TARDIS. Yeah, they're just again, it's that thing of the flick of a switch, isn't it? It goes from that, that lightheartedness to oh my god, there they are. You know, it's, yeah. it's oh it's so good. Yeah. Um and we get the uh we get 
Billy approaching one of the angels and uh, there's a close-up of his eyes as he blinks. And that's when Sally, is who's out, gone outside again, twigs about the Yale lock. Mm-hmm. So decides to go back into the police station to find the TARDIS, but it's gone and the doors are uh, the uh, the shutters are open. Sorry. No, uh, it's all good, mate. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Billy's been... We keep calling it zapped. It's probably not... It's because it's, it's that's what the Doctor calls it in the very next segment. Uh, the very yeah, next scene. Enough. Billy has been zapped. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, to rob, to rob from the Marvel thing, we, we, you could say blipped. Blipped. Okay. Billy has been blipped, and <laughs> it's, it's not got the same. It's not got the same no. uh, same ring as zapped. No, that's it. But he's arrived in 1969, and we meet the Doctor properly in this episode for the first time. Fine. Finally, about 20 minutes in. <laughs> yeah, but it's brilliant because it's almost like there's moments where I'm watching, and I think I think Sally is such a good character. I mean, I'd like to have seen more from Sally. I wish she'd have been a companion or whatever. I, I'd like to have seen more of her because I thought she was great. There's points in this first 20 minutes or so where I almost forget I'm watching Doctor Who. It's almost like I'm watching a program or a film or whatever about this Sally person and stuff that happens to her. Yeah, it, it feels like it could be an original program. It could be you know any of the number of shows. The only thing I'd say about it, I agree with you. Sally's a great character. I know I've had a bit of a dig here and there where she's been acting a bit of a dick, but she's a great character. Um, she falls into the um, she falls into the same sort of thing as Frank Skinner for me. Great character for that one episode, and uh, yeah, I would have loved to have seen more of her. But the fact that they're only in those one episodes also makes them more special. Yeah, I see that. I think yeah. seeing more could have it had the potential to to water the character down. And plus, this, this does close off with quite a nice... It, it, it's sort of nicely underlined, this episode, by the end of it, I think. Mm. But um, at this point, we sort of talked about previous episodes. This had a point where the Doctor's on about how he found Billy. Because they've been trapped in 1969 for a while. He explains to the Weeping Angels that they zap them into the past and live off the potential energy of all the days you could have had because the beings of the abstract, abstract we will beat boop. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> we would be boop. Yeah. Um, and he says, "You know, I've got my." And he said, "The doctor says I've got my timey wimey detector." Goes ding when there's stuff. Also, can bottle an egg at thirty paces, whether you want it to or not. Actually, so I've learned to say, "Stay away from hens." It's not pretty when they blow. And that is the energy oh. that we're trying to recreate in Day of the Doctor mm. with the you know the thing that goes ding. But yeah, this is it done right. This is where it yeah, felt natural. This is good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just this whole. I mean, Billy sat there. He's like, "What are you talking about? What is going on? I'm, I'm, I'm just confused." <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, the doctor needs Billy to deliver a message, though, doesn't he? And again, this is this is right on my street, mate. This is this is the sort of stuff that I love, you know, because the Billy the Billy has to deliver a message to Sally, and it's about the video on the DVDs, isn't it? About the Easter egg, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, again, I knew this had tickled tickle you rich because Sally gets a phone call and it's Billy. And the next thing we see is she's in the hospital and there's an old man in the in one of the beds. Mm-hmm. He's asleep, he wakes up and he says, oh, it was raining when we met. And Sally tells him it's the same rain because it's been a few minutes. To her, oh, yeah. To her, yeah. Really brilliant. So I think, you know, he's... She's looking at his wedding photos, and coincidentally, you know, he married a he married a Sally too, 
and they have a, you know, they share a little laugh over the Sally Shipton thing. And we get, I always like it in these shows, a bit like the Doctor explaining the Angels, but when there's the overly scientific explanation for why things did or didn't happen. So when Billy says he thought about looking for Sally before that night, but apparently would have torn a hole in the fabric of space and time and destroyed two thirds of the universe. But also he'd lost his, but also he'd lost his hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Same Billy, just older, man. He's a little bit vain. He's all about <laughs> yeah. But again, this Billy, Billy Shipton was such a well, even for the brief moment we saw him, you, you, you learn so much about the guy. Mm-hmm. And I would, have, I would have liked to have seen more. Um, yeah. But this is where, again, it, it sends you on a bit of a roller coaster of emotion, this does, because we learn that Billy, you know, through, since 1969, he didn't stay a policeman. He went into publishing, then video publishing, then DVDs. Oh, um, mate, this was amazing. He's this telling me like, to look oh. at the list. Yeah. <laughs> oh, of course, because you, you won't have remembered this or, or seen it coming, really, will you, on the, on no. the second match? Because, yeah, so Billy put the Easter eggs on there, and Sally's not noticed what they've got in common. And it, you know, doesn't uh, doesn't understand the message, but one day, one day he will. But the doctor told Billy that he'd never understand, like what was yeah. going on. And uh, she says, "Oh, well, I'll come tell you then." And th- this is when it just gives you an emotional kick in the bollocks. And he says, "And he says, no, you can't. There's only tonight." He told me all those years ago that we'll only meet again this one time on the night I die. And you're like, Jesus Christ, yeah, that got that's... heavy fast. Yeah, it really, but. What I like about it is it you're getting quite quickly an insight into not only how evil the angels are, but the effect that it has on the victims and the people that get left behind. Mm. Sally's going through so much in such a short period of time that it's gonna fuck her brain up. Her best mate and this guy she's you know, and then this guy she's just met have had chance have had have been zapped back him just on a chance encounter really you know because without her being there he'd have never been in that uh, that car no, park exactly. at the time the angels were going for the box and it's just like Jesus and he's he gets this and again this real like, but he says you know the thought of seeing her against kept him going and he's you know he's an old sick man and he's but he's had something to look forward to which he's seen her you know he's takes hand and he says even even at his age and obviously he's very says he just sort of sighs says life is long and you are hot <laughs> and he's it's just like isn't it? but he's looking at his hands as well as saying they're old man's hands mm. how did you know how did that happen and Sally to her credit you know stays with him and he has until the rain stops and it's just like God that's depressing but, I think but weirdly nice <laughs> yeah I think it's I think it's a testament to how good the writing is because you've got Kathy who we see for a very short amount of time, a very mm. small percentage of this episode. And then you've, you've got Billy who we also see it well, in two different guises, but we also see effectively in, in a very small percentage of the episode, yeah. but because well, you, you see them, you warm to them. And then we get almost, we get the story of their happily ever after as mm. well. It's, I think it's fantastic writing because you end up really caring for these characters but they've only been in the, on your screen for a matter of minutes. It is really impressive, and it, it's a testament to the people that play them as well. Yes. Uh, and, and speaking of that, uh, just this is just for Steve. I don't even know if he listens to the Doctor, but I'm assuming he does. Uh, but Michael Obiara, who played uh, the young Billy Shipton, uh, was Nathan Molly in the Bill in 2003. 
Uh, so that's for you, Steve. If you remember that character, let us know. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> he will. He knows his build, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, but uh, Louis Mahoney, who plays the, the older Billy, uh, has Doctor Who connections in his uh, in his past acting career. In 1973, uh, in the Pertwee serial Frontier in Space, uh, he played a newscaster, just as a bit part. Okay. And in 1975, in the Tom Baker serial Planet of Evil, he played a character called Ponty. Oh, uh, why? So I love stuff like that as well, when actors turn up like in New Who and Old Who and stuff like that. That's cool. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I just thought, you'd, uh, just thought you'd appreciate that. Yeah, that's great. But, I love that. We've had the emotional gut punch, and thankfully we get a uh, a bit more uh, a bit more comedy in the next bit <laughs> because uh, Sally Twiggs the, the DVDs the common link is her yeah and she's she's on the phone to Lawrence and uh, he, he asked the question we're all thinking you've only got seventeen DVDs <laughs> see again though this is this is fantastic because we're hearing about these these hidden messages, these Easter eggs, as they're referred to, I suppose, on these 17 discs, on these 17 mm. films. Uh, but it's all kind of, it's lots of different things, lots of different variables going on. They're all kind of, lots of different details that all kind of come together. And I love that because it's stuff happening in 1969 that influences present day. And the 17 discs that they're talking about, and there's this whole community who are obsessed on the internet that, that Lawrence is talking about with this, this Easter egg of the Doctor on 17 different films. And you find out it's the exact 17 DVDs that she owns. And then the fact that Billy got sent back to 1969, he goes into the DVD business, the film business, and he is the one who adds the Easter eggs on the end to those 17 specific films so that they would find its way to Sally. It's just absolutely sodding brilliant. Yeah, it really is. It this is we say, we say about like storylines converging and timelines converging, and we saw it done badly in the Colin Baker episode we reviewed. Yeah, there's a mess. This is, it, this is yeah, the, the, but this is it done absolutely masterfully. Um, but to add to the comic relief, in Sally meets Lawrence at Western Drumlins. She answers the door to him. He looks and says, "You live in Scooby Doo's house." <laughs> <laughs> why again though, I don't understand why would you meet there uh, why not well to me I, I might be missing something here and if I am please please correct me but to me they're going to go and watch the, 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 they're watching the video aren't they they're watching the, 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 the clip of the doctor they could do that anywhere why are they doing? Yeah. Why are they choosing there? That seems okay. Granted, for the for the for the plot and the way it works, and the, for the episode to flow the way it does, they have to be in that building when this happens. I get that. Yeah, but it doesn't make sense to me that they would choose there. They could have just gone to his flat. I think the the only sort of logical reason I can put together is Sally wants to find out what is happening with West Drumlins and the DVDs and the Doctor and and all the rest. But she wants to figure that out. She knows it centers around that house. So she thinks, okay. right, we watch it there. It might make more sense because we're in the location. And if there is something about the house, then they're in. They're where they need to be. But from the outside looking in, it is. it does feel like purely because the plot needed them to be there. Yeah, yeah. It does seem like an odd decision to me, but but there we go. I mean, like I said, she's had a lot go on today. So we'll forgive, yeah. we'll forgive, we'll forgive poor Sally. She's had a lot, a lot happen today. Today's she, been she's been a she, she suffered a lot of trauma in a very short period of time. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, Basically, the, the the DVD Easter egg, the video message at the end of the film and so on gets played and they very quickly discover that Sally, who is just rambling or, or, or saying certain things, she is the other side of the conversation, isn't she? 
yeah, now I I did something I've always wanted to do. I've actually taken a full transcript. Oh, the, um, I've transcribed the whole conversation of uh, Sally's parts, the doctor's parts, Lawrence's parts, Martha's parts. I've got it all written down. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. We're not going to do like an amateur theatre reading of, uh, <laughs> of this whole conversation. <laughs> but yeah, if you need any uh, any clarification on, on some of the lines or, or whatever, I've I've um, I've got <laughs> I've got my favourite ones written down and highlighted. Well, yeah, um, I mean, let's let's have a few then. I mean, let's have a rough gist of of the whole transcript and your favorite lines, because this is what this, I suppose kind of exposes the angels to Sally and Lawrence. Uh, and I suppose ties a lot of the, the happenings, a lot of the sort of variant storylines together with this moment, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It, basically the doctor, Sally's introducing the doctor. Lawrence is saying, who's the doctor? He's the doctor. And then we get the first, yep, that's me. Yeah. And then Sally said, okay, that was scary. And Lawrence said, no, it sounds like he's replying, but he always says that. And he said, yes, I do. And that, yeah, and this. And they're the, trying to figure out how the Doctor's responding when he's on a DVD. And it takes him a little while because he's, the Doctor explains he's a time traveller, or he was. He's stuck in 1969. And then Martha butts in, which I thought was brilliant. And she's saying, all of space and time, he promised me. Now I've got in a job. I've got, uh, sorry, I've got a job in a shop. I've got to support him. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> and it, it's just like, Martha, for God's sake. Um, but it, so Sally's trying to figure it out. She's trying to get her head around how he can be having a conversation, how he can know what they're going to say in a the conversation they're still having, sort of thing. And the doctor goes for a great... It's one of the class lines. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, time is more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Ah, <laughs> yeah. You know, and that, even that links into the day of the doctor that we covered... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's how I, that's how sort of iconic that line became, um, and I do like at one point Sally says to him, uh, "In fact, it's just before that where he's saying people don't understand time. So what is it? It's complicated." And she just goes, "I'm clever and I'm listening. Don't patronise because people have died and I'm not happy." <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah, it was brilliant, and all the while uh, Lawrence is uh, transcribing transcribing what Sally and uh, what Sally's saying, what he's saying, and she's saying. I, Doc says, you know, he knows exactly everything that she's going to say. And she says, how? I'm oh, sorry. No, yeah, Sally says, how? And he says, look to your left. And Lawrence goes, I said, what do you mean, look to your left? I've written tons about that on the forums. I think it's a political statement. And right. he you know, like, click, clicks his pen like it's a big triumph. And she just looks at him and says, he means you. Yeah. <laughs> because he's writing everything down. And he's, you know, he's got his notes. He's, he's shorthanding his way to the whole thing. And they have another, uh, Sally and the Doctor have another little thing about how can you have the finished transcript when it's still being written. The Doctor got it in the future because he's a time traveller. And Sally said, Look, so you're reading aloud from a transcript of a conversation you're still having. And the Doctor just goes, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. Yeah. As if that explains so it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and then this is one of the points where Sally just takes an unnecessary shot at Lawrence. Because she looks and says, actually, never mind that, you know shorthand. But <laughs> is, is now really the time to mock the guy that's helping you? Yeah, exactly. Really, and Lawrence just goes so like good lad, Lawrence. Yeah, you do your shot. Like none useful. of our shit. Yeah, you're actually you're actually being useful, mate. That was it was unnecessary. Not just walking like, around with your knob, mate. So the doctor then launches into a description of and history of the uh, the Weeping Angels, saying they were called the Lonely Assassins. Nobody knows where they came from. 
builders the universe itself are very nearly. He, he explains the uh, the defense mechanism they have that they're quantum locked. They don't exist while be uh, while being observed. The moment they're seen by any living creature, they freeze into rock. In the sight of any living thing, they literally turn to stone. And you can't kill a stone. Of course, a stone can't kill you either. But then you turn your head away, and then you blink. And oh, yes, it can. What a line, <laughs> first yeah. off. Um, that's the point where Sally instructs Lawrence to not take his eyes off, um, off the statue. Because they can see outside. And we... So the doctor carries on about the angel saying, that's why they cover their eyes. They're not weeping. They can't risk looking at each other. The greatest asset is the greatest curse. They can never be seen. See, that, and at that point, sorry, Dan, that, that I didn't even, I didn't even think about until the doctor said that because they are always there with their hands over their eyes. It didn't even enter my mind that that was why they did it, but it makes perfect sense. Doesn't it? It's, it's so logical. Yeah. Yeah. They can't even look at each other. And at that point as well, you see shadows in the hallway mm. uh, behind Sally and saying the loneliest creatures in the universe because obviously they can't even look at another creature. Yeah. Or be seen by one, sorry. And uh, it explains what the TARDIS is and that they want to feed off the um, off the time energy. Um, you know, they could feast on it forever, but the damage they could do could switch off the sun, which again, stakes are pretty high now. Yeah, this is it's quite serious. <laughs> Yeah, and that's when you get on. That's when you get the iconic speech. He says, and, "And that's it. I'm afraid there's no more from you on the transcript. That's the last I've got. I don't know what to- what stopped you talking, but I can guess they're coming. The angels are coming for you. Listen, your life could depend on this. Don't blink. Don't even blink. Blink and you're dead. They are fast, faster than you can believe. Don't turn your back. Don't look away, and don't blink. Good luck. That I mean, that the ending of that." Obviously, it's quite iconic because it's played at the beginning of the episode and there's a clip at the end of the episode and so on. Yeah. And it's, it's the thing that you, you think of from from the Doctor from this episode because it is a very, uh, like I said, a very iconic sort of passage, a passage of speech, I guess. But the bit before that is what gets me when he says, oh, and that's it then. That's the end of the transcripts. That's all I got. After this, you, you just stopped writing. You stopped replying. I can guess why. And it's that moment of, oh, okay. Yeah. Shit's going to go down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, but then immediately after that, the DVD stops. Sally's annoyed. <clears throat> Sorry, my throat is giving me some real jit now. Uh, no Sally's, annoyed. Sally's annoyed that it ended there without any further instruction. Lawrence goes over, you know, he wants to pause it or, you know, rewind it or something or, you know, play it again. And they have that moment where they look at each other. You're not looking at the statue. Yeah. Neither are you. And then, bam, it's that angry, snarling angel right in the middle of the room. Yeah. It's, oh, and it, it's, it's that kind of, I suppose, almost like a distraction tactic, isn't it, for the viewer? Because they're making you think of something else by the characters thinking of something else. Something yeah. that's not important. They want to faff around with the DVD there. And then it's the realisation for the for the characters of, oh, hang on. Oh, We've forgotten. No one's looking at. Oh, 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 hang on, and that's when the viewer, the penny drops with the viewer as well, and it makes you sort of go, "Oh my god, there it is!" And it, oh, it's just so well done. It, it's similar to um, the realization from Osgood in Day of the Doctor with the Zygons and the statues where they were hiding. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, spot on. Absolutely yeah. spot on. Really clever. Yeah. Oh, so at this, at this point, they're both bricking it as you would. 
And Sally says, <laughs> Lawrence is saying, we'll be okay as long as there's just this one. We keep looking at this one statue. And then Sally drops the bombshell that there are three more. <laughs> and they were upstairs, but she thinks she heard them moving. Like, great, you couldn't have told me this like five minutes ago. But <laughs> Lawrence has a great, like she's saying, don't blink, don't keep looking at it. He says, who blinks? I'm too scared to blink. <laughs> <laughs> See, the thing is, I can remember when this came on, you know, I, I, say I've, I say I've not watched it since it aired. I must have done. Because I can remember trying to keep my eyes open for the time frame that certain characters keep their eyes open on this episode. Yeah, I've tried it, but it's really hard. Yeah, because it's like your eyes just start going, you can't. My wife said, like, why don't you just look out of one eye? Funny you say that. Amy, uh, Amy Pond does that the uh, the next time the angels rock up because it's the uh, the crash of the Byzantium episode. And there's an, she's got this, this thing of an image of an angel becomes an angel and all the rest of it. So it's coming out of a TV app. Right, yeah. And she, she just starts, like, winking, just going one eye, one eye, one eye. But it's really hard to keep that up. Mm-hmm. Before before you you instinctively blink, and then again they're so quick, you're dead. Yeah, yeah, I get you, I get you. Uh, they basically Lawrence and Sally now they have to escape these angels, but the locked uh, in. Yes, they've also twigged as well about the key that Sally has. Yep, and the TARDIS is downstairs. The angels well, have the TARDIS. The angels have got. Oh, that was that's another one of the great lines. Sorry, going back to the transcript where uh, the doc says the angels have the phone box, <clears throat> and Lawrence said he's got that on a t-shirt. They actually made t-shirts. Yeah, with that. On that it. Is, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, but I want a t-shirt that says that. I'm not going to lie. I'd, I'd wear that. Yeah, I would. It'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Sally just decides to try the cellar because there's um, you know there might be a delivery hatch or something, mm-hmm. which. When the doors are locked and you don't want to jump off the roof, I suppose that's fine. Um, <laughs> may as well try it. Um, Lawrence leaves the room, and, and initially when I watched this, I had a, I kind of had an issue with it because surely if the angels are that fast, then it'd go for the door and be out the door before he before Lawrence yeah. could do anything. But I suppose the angel can't risk it because if he opens the door and Lawrence is just there staring, it's just going to be locked again, so there's no point. Mm. Which... Yeah. yeah, I suppose they're all kind of little small, uh, sort of, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to call them a plot hole because it's not it's not that big an issue for the story, but there are little small gaps with some of the logic with the angels, like you said, yeah. like throwing, throwing the rock, and if they are that quick, why don't they just do this? And we've had to kind of fill in the blanks ourselves as viewers, I guess. But it's not such an issue that it affects the enjoyment of the episode to me. Not at all. This is, you know, this is these questions are coming up for me after I've watched this episode. What must be? Well, I've watched it three times this week. Okay, I can watch it over and over again. It is one of one of, if not my absolute favourites. Mm. That's how highly I regard it. And it's it's taken years and multiple viewings to even make me think of of these these gaps and these holes. Yeah. So yeah, when you're actually just watching it and you're immersed in it, you're just going to be taken along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Uh, Sally and Lawrence get to the cellar. They see the TARDIS, and there's angels there as well. Of course there is. <laughs> yeah, well, the other three. Yeah. And they're trying to, I suppose, manoeuvre whilst looking at the angels to get yeah. to the TARDIS, almost kind of plotting their way through this, this small space to get to the TARDIS with the angels dotted around. It's kind of like... 
it, it's weirdly like human chess. They've got to be so strategic in where they go to keep the angels in sight. Mm. But then the angels, when they're in sight, can't move. But even if one's behind the TARDIS, it can't go too far because it'll get in sight of one of the other angels. And it sort of locks them in themselves, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's really, when you examine it, it's a really clever thing that they've done there to keep the angels stock still. Mm. They'll still get the main characters where they need to be. And then the fourth angel comes down, but it just compounds the problem. Yeah, and and that one is the one that starts pointing at the light bulb, isn't it? We're back to flickering lights like in the Capaldi episode. Yeah, and it's that thing of, again, it's so simple and so straightforward and so logical but to see the angels, you need the light on. Yeah. So if they can if they can tinker with the light, that's an advantage for them. And again, it is so simple, but it's it's terrifying at the same time because again, it involves the dark. It involves not being able to see. Yeah. And when the when the light does actually start strobing, that means in between strobes, the angels can move. Yeah. And it's I've I've been to a lot of scare attractions, you know, like the live action horror walkthroughs. Strobe lights are used a lot. Now, strobe lights in real life just mess with my eyes. I can't see a thing. It's, I don't know why. I've just messed up in the brain. Okay. Um, but here, where you see, where it's like the lights go down, they come up, and the angels are in a different pose, getting closer, getting closer. It's so, so cool and so, so scary. Yeah, it is. It, and again, it's. I keep saying it. I, I keep coming up with the same terms, but it, it's so straightforward. It's like yeah. the fog. It's in a way, I suppose. It's it's very like what makes it's very it's similar to what makes the Cyberman the Cyberman scary to me. That methodical, constant approach. Dun dun dun. Mm. You know, they're they're kind of like that because the lights flicker on and off at regular intervals, and each time it comes on, they're a step closer, or they've moved closer, or they've changed their mm. features, and and it's they're very methodical, very almost set your watch by it timing of the cyberman steps and the weeping angels light flickers bringing them closer it's a very mm. very similar way i guess of the advancing peril uh, you know h- happening i suppose yeah it is yeah it's that's a great comparison not one that even not one that crossed my mind um yeah absolutely i can't really add any more to that it's, that's just it's a really good observation um lawrence and and sally finally getting the tardis yeah, and essentially one of the DVDs that Lawrence has got on it is a um, uh, is, is an emergency. Um, essentially, you, know, you, you you pop you pop it in, and the, and the TARDIS buggers off. It's, it's like a pre-planned journey. journey, I guess. Pre-planned. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they call it an authorized control disc. That's what I was trying looking. That's what I was frantically looking for in my notes. Then, <laughs> right. Um, but it all gets a bit. It gets the tension ramps up again when the TARDIS starts dematerialising around Sally and Lawrence. Yeah, it doesn't take them the with angel. them, which is so weird. Yeah, so your natural instinct watching Doctor Who is to think, okay, so they're going to go in the TARDIS and it's going to be fine. But no, it's dematerialising around them. Mm-hmm. And they, the, the angels are slowly, slowly coming into view. And you're thinking, oh, God, and they're just cowering in the middle, as you would. But then nothing. Yeah. Nothing happens. There's, there's a good few seconds before Sally thinks and plucks up the courage as you would because you'd be terrified. You know, plucks up the courage say, look at them, look at them. And then she's been screaming, Doctor, no, you can't, as the TARDIS goes away. But the angels are all looking at each other. Yeah, because they they 
to them, I guess, they're seeing the TARDIS and they're seeing yeah. the, the sort of um, image of Sally and Lawrence coming through the TARDIS and that's their prey, that's what they're after. And they don't twig that when this TARDIS fully goes, they, they're all locking themselves in and effectively into a circle of, of, of stone, effectively, isn't it? A circle of being unable to move. Well, they're not after Sally and Lawrence, they're after the TARDIS. Well, yeah. They want, yeah. They want, they want the key that Sally had. Um, and they've you know, been shaking the TARDIS around and all of that. Um, but yeah, as it dematerializes, and as soon as they can catch sight, as soon as it becomes see through enough to see each other on the other side, that's them locked. Yeah, it's and such a clever, such a clever end. And the stance they're all in as well, with the TARDIS not being in between them anymore, because mm. they've got the scary faces, their arms are outstretched, they're, they're lunging in, but they've all just been frozen. That yeah. looked cool. That was, and they are all just facing each other. And my mindset would be, though, what if somebody then goes in there and goes, "Oh, let's move this statue and triggers it all off or, or whatever." But at that moment, it looks amazing because you've got Sally and Lawrence curled up in a little ball, effectively. Yeah. In between all these angels, it's it's really clever. Yeah, and when even throwing back to when the Doctor says the greatest asset is the greatest curse or the greatest weakness, it's, yeah, again just levels to it and. So, so well written and well thought out. See, that's another comparison there between Attack of the Cyberman, the, the Colin Baker story that we looked at in, in a previous episode. There were moments in Attack of the Cyberman that were very preempted. Hmm. They, they were dropping stuff into the story. So when it happens later on, we would go, we, in theory, we would go, oh yeah, look at that. But they just didn't put it off at all. They they just, it, hmm. was, it was so badly done. Here, the doctor mentioning that their greatest weapon is also their, their Achilles heel, so to speak, comes back and concludes the episode effectively. It mm. It's really well done because you instantly understand why this has happened, but it's not been foreshadowed in a way that you think, okay, that's what's going to happen. It's not been in Attack of the Sidemen. It went, Haley's Comet is linked with disaster. Disaster. Haley's yeah. Comet. Look, Haley's Comet, disaster. This one was just like, it, it just felt so natural as something the Doctor would say. Yeah. And, and there's his pattern of speech and and something that we as the audience needed and wanted to hear. Yeah, it was yeah. so well. And I, I didn't even think of any of these comparisons before I picked this episode. It's just something that it just happened to tie in quite mm, nicely. Yeah, and it, and it works really well. Because, I mean, Attack of the Sideman, we were very negative about, but I think rightfully so. And I think, I think this shows, fair. yeah, 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 yeah. And I think this shows that with the right writing and the right people portraying the characters, and, and when things are handled properly, what they were trying to do can be a really good asset to the show. It can be a really good, yeah, uh, a, a really good tool for entertaining the viewer, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's worked out that way. We've, we've sort of inadvertently worked together and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, brought, brought this about sort of full circle, which is, uh, which uh, is as, we, as we said before, we wish we could take proper credit for this, but none of it was intentional at all. It was not. It was not. <laughs> and effectively, then we come to the, the end of the episode when we see Sally and Lawrence a year later. Mm. And, and this is, I completely forgot about all of this. <laughs> I could not remember this happening. And this was one of your favourite bits, I imagine. Yeah, it was because it came up on the screen one year later, and I'm like, "Really? What? So what? Eh? What? What's happened in that year?" Yeah. And it's obvious that Sally and Lawrence are effectively running the DVD store together now. It seems. 
Yeah, it's like a it's like a class, a rare DVD and, and bookshop and and all the rest yeah. of it. But I think it's on it's obviously on the same site as as the one before. Yeah, and they, they in the in the short moments you have them on screen, there's weird interactions where they're all it's almost like they might be a couple, they might not. Lawrence obviously really is fond of Sally, but she's mm. got her mind on other things, which is you know how did the doctor get the transcript uh, and and what's gone on in her life in this incredibly chaotic weekend i guess a year ago yeah, yeah. it's the worst long weekend of your life isn't it yeah um, yeah but yeah she, you know you're saying do you not think this obsession's getting in the way of other things and she's saying look we just run a shot together that's it yeah so he yeah. pops out for the milk we see a black cab pull up outside and it's really well done because it's looking through the shop yeah. you see the doctor and martha hop out and she's the what the shit? You know, this is what she's been waiting for for a year. Just runs out and runs out to talk to them finally. And it's it's still still you know wibbly wobbly timey wimey, where the doctor obviously hasn't. This is the first time he's meeting Sally, and but not the first time she's seen the doctor. And it takes her a moment to twig, and she effectively you know she, just to sort of run through. She, she hands him the the dossier she's put together and says. You'll need this if you ever, if you ever get stuck in 1969. You'll need it. Yeah. But the doctor has a great bit where he says, "I've I've got a bit of a complicated life. Um, you know, it gets a bit confusing at times. You know, don't, doesn't meet people in the right order or things don't happen in the right order. It gets a bit confusing at times, especially weddings. I'm, ru- I'm rubbish at weddings, especially my own. <laughs> yeah. And I immediately thought of the wedding to Elizabeth the first. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. The levels on this show that we put together completely oh. unintentionally. <laughs> fantastic stuff yeah, yeah. And, and again you were right about this being one of my favorite moments because it ties everything up in a nice little bow yeah everything is it, the whole episode is about present day then 1920 then 1969 then present day the the, the dvd extras how do the dvd extras appear on there they're on the 17 films that sally owns this transcript of this video how did the transcript get to the doctor? And it turns out it's her all along that passes the transcript to the doctor that they then use. It, oh, it's just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and it's I can't remember the exact name of it, but this is effectively a more complicated version of a um, of, of a, an old sort of time paradox riddle kind of thing, mm-hmm. where a time traveller absolutely loves the the work of a certain composer, be it something like Bach or Mozart or whatever. So decides to go back in time and meet the composer, but goes back in time and the composer doesn't exist. And the time traveler can't imagine a world without that music in it. Yeah. So the time traveler has all the sheet music and decides to put put it together themselves. Mm-hmm. And says, you know, well, who you know who wrote this and gives the name of the composer. But that composer never existed. So what came first? So what came first? There, what happened? What caused what? Did the music cause the time traveler to go back, or did the yeah. time traveler do the music? You know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? And it's that, oh, that sort of cyclical paradox loop. I love stuff like that. I could talk about that sort of stuff all day long. It's fantastic. But we do not have time this week to go down any paradox, timey, wimey, wibbly, wobbly uh, discussions. We need to get on and I suppose summarize. We've only got time for for laughing at penis jokes. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to have to edit some of that. If people want to hear what happened when me and Dan lost the plot a little bit, I will tag it onto the end of the episode after our outro music. We kind of ended up having to take a break because we were laughing so much. My face started to hurt and Dan nearly died. <laughs> like a pair of absolute children. Yeah. So I'll tag that on the end. And it's, it's just, we're idiots. Um, (laughs) Before we get to what we will be looking at from classic who next week, Dan, I mean, I'm assuming it's going to be relatively all positive, but quickly summarize your thoughts on this episode. Well, just quickly, it it ends with a a recap of the doctor's speech about, you know, don't turn your back, don't blink. And it's spliced in with a load of statues. As I mentioned before, I watched this show with my dad we were both suitably freaked out by it because it was a really good bit of television. But in that um, sort of montage of statues, my dad spent a lot of time working in London. A load of those were on his, uh, on his commute to work. Oh, and yeah, what you say it? Why? He, was looking, he, he looked at him and just went, I wish he'd not done that bit at the end. I know where a load of those statues are. I'm not going to be able to walk past them now. <laughs> <laughs> there's, one, there's one very similar to A Weeping Angel in design that I walk past twice a day when i go to work because it's past it's basically like someone who makes is it a stonemason they're called someone who makes gravestones and so on they've got their yard Mm. their yard down um bristol road in gloucester and i walk past there to get to my bus stop and right at the front of it is something that looks like a weeping angel it's not an exact weeping angel. it's it's obviously a different design and so on but i'll take a picture of it and i'll I'll chuck it up on the uh, on the show's twitter account when when this episode comes out this week and yeah i gotta walk past that every day just make sure it's in the same place every time, yeah. Yeah, exactly. If I was, if I owned that, I'd be fucking with people, mate. I'd be me- <laughs> <laughs> just on I'd the be off chance, of, just on the off chance of scaring a Doctor Who fan. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but so yeah, to, to, to summarise the show, it, it, as I said before, it's one of my absolute favourites. To me, no, I've said before, nothing can be perfect, but this is a nine point nine 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 recurring. Yeah, uh, I've, I've I've got my couple of odd little problems that mention like the throwing the rock and and. Even the bits that I've put out, you know, put where I've thought Sally's been a dick, it flesh the stuff like that fleshes out a character. It gives, it, it makes them a bit more three dimensional, mm-hmm. makes them more human because we all have, we all do shit like that. Yeah, everyone has Whether a bad day. Everyone gets grumpy. Everyone can be a dick. Yeah, exactly. And it, you know, it's not like it was anything completely awful, but yeah, that, there's not a lot of fault with it. No, no me. Not a lot at all. I, just, I love this episode so much, and the fact I can sit and watch it three times in a, three times in a week, fifteen years after it aired, and still love it and still be entertained, I think speaks volumes. Yeah, I one hundred percent totally agree. And I'm going to say something now that I mean, we all know how much I enjoy the the the, the time travel aspect of anything. We've covered it a lot on this show. There's a lot of that. In this episode, we've got a great doctor in David Tennant, even though I don't see much of him, but he is a fantastic doctor. The characters in this episode, even though you don't see them for long, are all brilliant. And the villains are fantastic as well. I'm going to stick my neck out here now and say something maybe a little bit controversial. Um, but I, I, I think I'm correct when I say this. To me, anyway, it's, to me personally, this is the best thing we've watched since we started this podcast, I think. Yeah, I'm biased, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the best thing we've watched so far. So, and it's yeah, probably going to go. be, it's probably going to, at least from the ones I'm going to pick, it's going to be the best one that we're going to watch. <laughs> ah, okay. So it's all downhill from here. <laughs> well, not, not by much. 
Uh, Okie doke. So then, it's my turn to pick from Classic Who for next week. I have two Doctors left, as far as I can remember. We have Peter Davidson yeah. and John Pertwee. We're going to save the Davidson story to my last pick because it's one of my favourites and I want to end on a bit of a high, I guess. Yeah. John Pertwee, I've not seen masses of. I've started trying to watch some over the last couple of weeks, you know, a few stories here and there, just to sort of get familiar with it and so on. And I started watching a serial, I started watching a story this week and I got two episodes in, three episodes in and thought, this is good. I'm enjoying this. I'm going to stop watching it. And I'm going to put it forward for the show. And then me and you can watch it. Uh, well, watch it separately and review it on the show. Cause it'll be the first time you've seen it as, as you state quite openly about a lot of, a lot of classic who, and that it's definitely the first time I would have seen it. And cool. it's the story from 1970 entitled Inferno. Now it's quite a long story. We're back to 22, 23 minutes an episode, and it's about seven or eight episodes long. So there's a lot to get through there. But it involves the Doctor being in two different dimensions, but the same place with the same characters and so on. Okay. We get the, brig the Brigadier in full flow um, and, and all sorts. So I've not watched it all. I've watched the first couple of episodes, and I thought, what am I doing? I'm getting into this why not I put it forward for the show? So that's where we're going to go for our next episode, Dan, Inferno with John Pertwee. Great stuff, I can't wait. I, I, that name rings a bell. It might be something that Rob's brought up to me a few times, saying it is one of the one of the better ones. It so, does tend to finish quite high up on when you get those countdowns of best episodes mm. of this, best episodes of that. So, so yeah, yeah, looking I'll, forward I'll, to it, mate. Looking forward to I'm it. I'm excited, yeah. Bit of Pertwee. Bit of Kung Fu action. Um, before we depart, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you and all your excellent shows online, my friend? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about uh, wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies and TV that are at least 25 years out of date. Uh, you can hear me on Unbooking the Territory, uh, where myself and UTT Rob go through the first and last of professional wrestling, and the uh, the first series covered the uh, the highest and lowest TV-rated episodes of Raw and Nitro from the uh, the Monday Night Wars. Uh, you can also hear us on Unbooking the Tankatory, where we go through the WCW career match-by-match of one uh, Mr. Tank Abbott, which is uh, very much a niche within a niche within a niche, but it's uh, a bit of a passion project, and we're having uh, <laughs> we're having great fun. Um, the with the uh, that with the that nineties wrestling podcast uh, pay per view reviews, uh, there will be something happening that in the future. Just undergoing potentially a little revamp on how we're doing things, but they will be making a comeback shortly, and you can hear those uh, currently on Primetime Conversations YouTube channel. All brilliant stuff. Okay, you can find me on Twitter at SJP Words, and the group you need on Facebook is SJP All the Shows and Info. And from there, you get links to all the shows I'm involved in. Uh, this one, the Waiting Room podcast about Quantum Leap that I do with our good friend Benny, Chain Wrestling that I do live on a Monday night via Radio Techers with Magsy, and podcast version comes out later in the week. And Nitro Nights, looking at WCW, one show at a time, with our good buddy Scottish Danny there. But most importantly, you can find and follow this show on Facebook and Twitter at the Doctor Who pod. That's at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D, at the Doctor Who pod. That's it, anyway. That's it for this week. So looking forward to a bit of John Pertwee for the first time for me and the first time for you. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I'm very excited. It's, uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun. And I think we both 
both now just need to put all our knobs away and go and be helpful. Exactly, exactly. Remember, you're not you're not contributing to society when you got your knob out. Okay. <laughs> Let's not start this again. <laughs> I'll speak to you next week, bud. Speak to you soon, mate. Bye. Sorry, a helicopter just flew very low over my house. It's the police chopper after you, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Don't give me away. Sorry. No, it's all good, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Billy's been... We keep calling it zapped. It's probably not... It's 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 because that's what the doctor calls it in the very next segment. Uh, it just seems quite sort of almost a light-hearted term for what's happening to these people but okay we'll carry on that what do you want to call it (laughs) what like they've been they've been touched into the past or poked or no that's all getting a bit seedy there mate isn't it I think (laughs) they've been finger blasted into the into the past (laughs) that's a whole different that's a whole different thing (laughs) anyway Billy has been zapped Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, actually, to rob, to rob from the Marvel thing, we, we, you could say blipped. Blipped. Okay, Billy has been blipped, and <laughs> it's, just, it's not got the same. It's not got the same no. uh, same ring as Zapped. No, that's it. Um, and I, I apologise to anybody listening if you can hear anything in the background. Uh, one of my neighbours is doing something with a strimmer or a lawnmower or something. So. It was, it was unnecessary. Not just like walking that. around with your knob, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you put your cock away, you're being helpful. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> oh, God, the bar, the bar for men really is low, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> 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 God. <laughs> you put your cock away and you're being helpful. <laughs> See, this is the problem now. I didn't think it was that funny, but I'm laughing at you laughing. Uh, I've, got, I've got to cut this out and put it on the end of the show, I think. <laughs> oh, oh, crying. I don't even know what we were talking about. <laughs> Lawrence's penis. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, dear, my face hurts. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, right. <laughs> we'll start again. <laughs> Oh dear. Okay. Right, calm down. Yeah. Right. Deep breaths. Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, from this point on, if my, if my voice is a little bit uh, ropey, I've just had a coughing fit. I'm not going to look uh, up at the camera because if I see you, I'm going to start laughing again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay. No, look, come on. <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, oh God. Right. Okay. So, it's oh. <laughs> just weird now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, I've got a headache. Where were we? What were we talking oh, about? Um, so the doctor then launches into Foxy. Oh, God, hang on. Right. Right. Oh, do you need to go away and stuff. come back? Or... <laughs> no, I do need to cough, though, so I'm just going to mute for a second. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> 